and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian of the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Dave. I'm the coordinator of adult services at the Central Library, and my pronouns are he, him. And I'm Karen. I am the Auburn Branch Librarian, and my pronouns are she, her. So thank you both for joining me today. A little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about some of the long-running series that we've enjoyed. Uh, But before we get into that, let's talk about what you've currently been reading. Yeah, so talking about long-running series, kind of the opposite is a a little novella. I just finished The Past is Red by Catherine Valenti. Um, It's a 140-some-odd page book, uh, Imagining a Future where the polar ice caps melted, the earth is flooded, like up to the tallest mountains, and the remnants of humanity are living on the floating garbage patch in the Pacific. It follows a a character named Tetley and this kind of trash civilization that she lives in and still finds a lot of things to love and a lot of hope and beauty in this world. While at the same time, and I'm going to say this because I get to believe it later, which is a fun thing for me. Um, So they refer to the past people of Earth, so us, in other words, as quits, And um, she's talking a lot about, you know, these people who ruined this good thing that they had. Um, But it's also what we have now in this sort of, you know, our post-apocalyptic world, but it's just their world, right? Like she was born on this trash island and her parents were born on this trash island. And so this is the only uh, reality she knows as a character. And it's, it's really, really well done. There's a lot of intricate detail and a lot of magic realism at work. Uh, So that was a really enjoyable book. And then before that, uh, I had read um, How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe. Uh, That's by Charles Yu. It imagines a world where he's a time traveler, but it's almost like he's traveling in his own mind, like he's traveling through his own past and uh, recollections of his past. And that's another, um, you know, there's sort of magical realism at work, um, but also he's imagining this relationship he had with his father as his father was building this time machine and you you don't really know if the time machine is a real thing or if it's like a time machine of regret like going back to memories that you remember and um, he ends up at one point killing himself he sees himself from the future and so he shoots himself and then gets in the time machine he's like well now i'm in a time loop and you know i'm gonna have to get out of this time machine eventually and kill myself and you know it's a really interesting book very very detailed and topsy-turvy as befits time travel narratives. So kind of like some Slaughterhouse Five Trowel Famidorian stuff of like, is the are they yeah. aliens or is this person mentally ill? Yeah, I, I think that's a really apt correlation there for sure. That has that same sort of feel of, you know, he's seeing his whole life and he's visiting these parts of his life and seeing them from outside. Um and and you, I think it's real. And the character's name is Charles, Charles Yu. So it's the same character um, as the author. And he refers to having written the book. And he's so the book that you're holding and it's kind of like I randomly flipped it over into page 146 and you look and you're on page 146. You're like, okay, so and then there's several pages of like reading the book as if he's writing the book as you're reading the book. And it's a really interesting little little trick, Um, but definitely a lot of food for thought, a lot of um, relationships with parents, food for thought, which you know, struck home with me a little bit. Um, I just read, talking about parenting relationships, um, 
I just read The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley. Um, and Gunkle comes from Gay Uncle Patrick, or Gup for short. Um, <laughs> and Patrick is the main character. He's got um, a young niece and nephew, uh, Maisie and Grant, and he loves the niece and nephew. He likes, you know, he lives in Palm Springs. They live on the East Coast. He likes going to visit and see them and all. But then a couple of horrible things happen in their lives. Um, and all of a sudden, he is uh, the guardian, the temporary guardian of these two kids. So he lives, he's a um, an actor. And he's fairly flamboyant and he lives in Palm Spring and he has this, um, uh, you know, sort of frivolous lifestyle, except what he's famous for is a TV show. And his um, the show has ended and he doesn't really know what to do with himself. And that's kind of stalled. So he's in Palm Springs. He's kind of retreated from all of his Hollywood friends and, uh, you know, uh, colleagues. But then he gets these two kids dumped on him literally in, you know, like in a day. Um, and all of a sudden he's parenting like a six and a nine-year-old. So he's parenting young kids who, you know, he doesn't live in a child-friendly house in Palm Springs. So it's how he relates to the kids who are fairly traumatized about what's happened to them. And how he's traumatized by the fact that he's taking care of these kids. He doesn't know what to do and doesn't have a clue about bath time and bedtime and getting some sort of an order and routine into his day and doesn't know the appropriate foods for young children. You know, he wants to serve them caviar and champagne and they want mac and cheese. So it's really an exploration of family. Um, it's very funny. Uh, it's very heartwarming. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. And I followed that one up with um, a rom-com called Donut Fall in Love by Jackie Lau, <laughs> um, which, you know, I'm a baker. This was a book about a baker. It had the word donut in the title. It was kind of you know, just made for me. Um, it takes place in Toronto. The characters are both Asian. Uh, and um, the one of them is an actor named Ryan Kwok. His latest rom-com has sort of tanked. And he's got the weight of expectation on his shoulders because it's rare that um, an Asian actor was the romantic lead in this comedy. He wasn't the sidekick. He wasn't the best friend. You know, he wasn't a coworker, And he's afraid that because of him, other Asian actors won't be able to get leading roles because, well, I tanked in this movie. Movie studios aren't going to allow some other Asian actor to ever take this role again because it costs too much money. And he stumbles into a bakery uh, run by Lindsay McLeod, and she does really interesting, you know, unique, trendy flavors, you know, uh, matcha cheesecake tiramisu donut. He knocks over a tray of those when he walks in the door. Um, and she doesn't know who he is. She's not up on pop culture exactly because she also has these expectations of herself where she has to be really successful and she's running her own bakery and doesn't know who he is. And he knocks over this tray of, you know, matcha donuts that people are clamoring for. And she spent 
a, you know, a fair amount of time making them and she just gets angry at him and loses her temper. Hmm. Um, and of course, that's the start of a meet cute. Uh, and it goes from there. And what he's trying to do to sort of reestablish his career is uh, he tells his agent to accept a part on a, a baking fail reality show <laughs> where, you know, it's one of those shows where the world's worst bakers come on and all try, you know, and have three different challenges. And he doesn't know how to boil water. So what he's going to do is he hires her for eight weeks of baking lessons. And it was very cute. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. But again, it had some serious things to say about uh, race relationships and uh, the weight of expectations of our parents and friends and the weight of expectations we have on our, we we place on our own selves um, too. but, But it was fun. I feel like I probably have talked about this book on the show before, but it reminds me if you are willing to read YA, I don't know if you read any at all, Karen, but a similar. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. I do. <laughs> um, have you read A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow? No. Okay. It's very similar Baker protagonist, but she's Cuban. Um, and she ends up in the UK and has kind of like, a kind of similar baking related meet cute with the main character um, who's like your stereotypical English guy. But it also she has experienced some loss in her life. And this uh, this potential love interest has also experienced some loss in his life and is kind of like actively experiencing loss. I don't want to give too much away. But so I think it says a lot of interesting things about grief uh, and so talking about like a book that's light and fun, but also has some like serious things to say. I think it has kind of an interesting thing to say about grief and and how people can like have an active prolonged grief for people who aren't even fully gone yet because of, you know, the, the illness that they contract. It does also yeah, have yeah. a lot of levity and, and fun moments. And and I think their relationship is very cute. So if you're looking for a read alike for that book, I recommend Cuban Girls Guide to Tea and Tomorrow because I think it'll like scratch your baker itch <laughs> as well as your like rom-com or less comedy. It's more just straight up romance. But the um, Gunkel also has that whole exploration of grief thing. You know, everybody in the book is grieving. Yeah. Um, but it's also hysterically funny in parts. So it's the contrast. Definitely. And I think you sometimes need that contrast when there's serious stuff going on. <laughs> I'm just um, always here for the uh, the punny titles of the, the romance novels. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I love every single one of them. So Don't Fall in Love, A Woman Sconed, things like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm sure I'm sure that's a book that exists. I did not yeah. make that up. Like, I just love buying those for the collection. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just I just need to sit down and read one. That's a challenge I'm giving myself 2022 reading goal. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say, your 2022 New Year's resolution is read a punny romance novel. I'll do it. I'll come back and talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So last night, and this I devoured in one sitting, is a graphic novel called Himawari House. And so it was a graphic novel about uh, this young woman who was born in Japan, but in her like toddlerhood moved to the U.S. And so spent most of her childhood and adult life in the U.S. Um, So kind of 
grappling with the immigrant experience as someone coming from an Asian country and being in the U.S. So she talks about like not wanting bento in her lunch at school anymore because all the kids at school say that it's smelly and it's weird um, and like things like that. And so uh, she decides that she's going to spend a year in Japan, like a gap year, basically in Japan um, to, to go back. And she's kind of searching for this feeling of belonging. So she's like, OK, if I go back to Japan where I was born, like this is where I'm going to feel like I I belong because I was born there. But her Japanese isn't that great. She actually spends most of the year going to school to improve her Japanese, going to a Japanese language school. Um, she just she discovers that like people in Japan view her as a foreigner because she seems very American. Her Japanese isn't that good. She doesn't get a lot of the cultural stuff that she would if she grew up in Japan. Um, so she kind of throughout the book grapples with this of like feeling like a foreigner in the country I was born in, but also feeling like a foreigner in the country I grew up in and kind of grappling with her identity. And so she moves into the share house with these two other young women. So you get a look into their lives and their stories too, because both of them are not native to Japan. And so you find out about like why they chose to come to Japan and kind of their own identity that they're trying to work out. Um, and it was just a very lovely book of friendship. There was a little romance spattered in, but it definitely wasn't like the main focus of the of the graphic novel. The main focus was really about these young women in their relationship and, and their striving for identity. And the art really reminded me of a manga. It was all black and white. And the author was the artist for George Takai's They Call Us Enemies. So um, familiar art style here, even leaning a little more into the manga style than in the George Takai biography. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. I just sat down and was like, I'm going to keep reading this until I finish it. <laughs> yeah, and you both know that I'm not a manga graphic novel person, just like Dave's not a rom-com reader. Um, but I loved the George Takai books illustrations. They were really yes. evocative. It was, it was stunning. Yeah, there was definitely with that with that one, and I'm sure it must it must be um, influences in this as well. Like you know, like these kids would be happy about something, like their faces would change, and there'd be stars around them. Yeah, this this good. leans into that a lot, and even I think there's probably some meaning that I would understand more sure. if I understood Japanese characters, because there was a lot of the book where like yeah, like high emotion things were happening, and there were like Japanese characters around the the characters' faces that mm -hmm. I'm assuming was some type of like onomatopoeia, kind of like crash, bam, pow yeah. kind of mm -hmm. stuff. But again, that's a layer of meaning that I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily able to take away from it except in context. But yeah, and it's funny, it was like very self-aware too because the, the characters like talk about shoujo manga and stuff that they're like, <laughs> if this was a shoujo manga, we would go to the festival on Yukatas and we'd meet someone and we'd watch the fireworks. That's but again, it, it wasn't necessarily a manga. So I guess that wasn't as meta as it could have been. But mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed that, like those different nods to Japanese culture and, and how connected this book was to Japan. So yeah, yeah I thought it was super interesting. Um, so I've either of you been watching anything interesting lately? So I, I've got my, my shameful secret and I don't think I've ever shared it here, but, uh, my spouse and I enjoy watching reality television. 
So the, the latest season of Are You the One, which is on Netflix right now, uh, the premise being that, you know, very stereotypically um, reality TV people are brought onto this island and they have been using air quotes here, scientifically matched with one of the other people on there. And so they have to pair off and find all their matches. And it it's what's interesting about this one. And there's all the same drama and, you know, loose use of um, alcohol that you would expect to see in one of these. So like, it's not good, but um, <laughs> what's interesting about it is they're all supposed to be working together to win a cash prize altogether as a team. So nobody gets booted off this Island. Like if they find all the pairs of people that are supposed to be paired up, then they will win a prize and the, like the show is over and they win. Um, oh, okay. But, so it's like a game show where none of them know who they are signing. Exactly. They don't know. Who, oh, they don't know who they're signing. Right. I should have. I should have started with that. So they don't know who their <laughs> scientific match is. But the you know the people who produce the show have made these matches through reasons. And so over the course of the show, they try and figure it out, and they go on dates, and they do all the reality TV things. Um, it's incredibly vapid, and it's perfect for you know we've got these kids in bed, and we're going to have time to do one thing before we pass out of sleep because that's that's life so so it's it's like and it's the kind of thing where i'm watching it like you know walking through the tv room with my like, eyebrow up like what is this but then by the end <laughs> of the season i was definitely like what happened i'm sitting down and watching um the the mechanic of they're all supposed to be working together but all the drama still ensues is really really like it's an interesting layer but it, i think it was produced by mtv so it's definitely has no redeeming value other than it is entertaining. So I'll give it that. Um, Dave, if it makes you feel any better, I don't know if this show is even on or still running or if any of these women are still even involved in the WWE. But I, when I lived with my parents, my stepdad would sometimes put on Total Divas, which is a reality show about a handful of women who are in the female wrestler circuit yeah. of the <laughs> WWE. And... It, yeah, it was definitely one of those things where at first I was like, oh, I don't I don't care about this. I don't care about wrestling. Right. I don't care about anything. And then, it, yeah, it was like a car wreck that I feel like yes, I couldn't you can't stop watching. Yeah, I was like, what are the twins going to be doing? Why are they so mean to Nikki? I don't. Yeah, yeah it, it was like I just like I vaguely remember all kind of drama about one of them wanted to have a baby. And these two twins that their whole gag is that they like are a tag team thing of twins and so mm -hmm. one of them wanted to have a kid and the other one was like no that'll ruin our career like this isn't a good time <laughs> for us like I and it was wow. like a whole thing of them like basically trying to like thwart their plans like one of the twin and their partner's plans to like have a kid and it was mm -hmm. it was wow. wild right but you can't look away I like guess it, it, exactly. it is like and I don't I don't think I'm better than anybody. Like, and I don't think I'm better than these folks. I think if I was put in a similar situation and um, poked in front of a certain way by producers of television, like I'd probably act the same way. So I don't feel like I'm above it. Um, but it, it is just kind of like, there is this level of like, are these people for real? Like, but it's, it's, it's something I'll tell you what. So yeah, that's my deep, dark reality show secret. Because usually I do kind of, not that I act like I'm above those people, but I act like I'm above being sucked into reality TV right. show. Like mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't care about the Kardashians. I don't care about the Real Housewives, which I really don't. But I'm sure if it was on at someone's house, I probably would be like... You'd probably get into it, yeah. <laughs> 
Same. But no one can see next. my face. It was an intrigued right. yes. face. Yes. <laughs> what about you, Karen? Oh, well, you know that I just don't really watch television that much. Um, Have you been back to any uh, any live concerts with things sort of improving and then now where we are now? But there was that brief window of time. There was that brief window of time. And no, I yeah. did. Um, my The ladies of the rolling pin, my Wishboarder Morris dance team, we did perform uh, the first weekend in December. We did perform in Wickford um, outside. Mm. Uh, we always perform during the festival of lights. And so it was, you know, a gig on two different days. And that was a lot of fun to actually be with people and playing music with people, um, and having an audience watching us. And, you know, that was, I saw a couple of patrons made their way down to Wickford and that was kind of fun seeing them. And so that was, that was good, but no, I'm still doing, you know, it's still really a world of online concerts, most of, and right now, people who had scheduled in-person concerts are all canceling and going back to online. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm planning on watching one from a friend in Louisiana on Friday night. And, uh, you know, I watched several this past weekend, and I'm still singing online with friends, which is weird because you can't hear them. You can see their mouths moving. Yes. Um, and you can imagine the harmonies that they're singing. Yeah you know, you're singing by yourself. So that's all just kind of weird. And I don't sew any of these sorts of things, but uh, watching all of the people doing historic costuming Mm. online, you know, Bernadette Banner and Abby Cox and so on. And uh, it just fascinates me that they're willing to spend 900,000 hours hand stitching something with, you know, 20 stitches to the inch. Um, when they could whip out a sewing machine and be done, you know, so. I don't think I realized that you were like a historical costuming. I think I'm a casual historical costuming fan. I find Mm -hmm. it intriguing. I know Elise is really into it too. We should have like a historical costuming fangirl episode. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Because there are, there is a bunch of them that I occasionally watch, Uh, you know, I, that's actually kind of, I do occasionally binge things and an evening, you know, I'll start in an evening and then realize it's three o'clock in the morning. And, you know, because one episode ends and, you know, YouTube just pulls up another one and it's like, Oh, look, she's making an 18th century woman's walking shoe, you know, or, you know, whatever. And you get dragged in and hours later, you're sort of bleary eyed and saying, why am I still awake? (laughs) But yeah, I was watching, I fell into, not as not as far as a hole as that, but I fell into a little bit of an Abby Cox hole on YouTube mm-hmm. the other night yeah. of catching up on some of the most recent things she did. And yeah, and I, I think she's super funny, like her personality too, that she's just like, we're just going to jump in. We're going to make 19th century hair dye. We're going to give it a go. <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh, what, and, what could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? Boiling gall nuts in my kitchen for an hour and a half in oil. Right. Um, say, some of those materials, yeah. right? Yeah. Where am I going to find of... mercury? <laughs> <laughs> well, she specifically, she was saying in the video that she's like, I've been holding off doing, like, I've been searching recipes that aren't like lead. Like right. I've, she's like, I've been kind of holding out for a recipe that isn't filled with like, Super, canar- car- right. super carcinogenic material. Yeah. So she found, yeah. yeah, she found this recipe that was like charcoal and gall nuts, which is like, 
this weird thing where where like bugs crawl into a branch to like lay eggs oh, yeah. or mm-hmm. or okay. mate or whatever and then it makes like a weird bubble and then yep. that bubble is filled with stuff that turns black if you boil it I... in oil for mm-hmm. like an hour and a half so huh. yeah but she was like <laughs> In the video, she was like looking up a gall nuts where as she was like doing this and then she was like, I don't know if you want to keep this or not. She was like, no one told me this is weird insects, sex tree balls. (laughs) And I feel betrayed. (laughs) So, yeah, that was that was fun. Um, But uh, kind of circling back to live performances uh, this past weekend, I went to PPAC and saw Hamilton The tickets were a gift from my partner for Christmas. But as much as I was having a lot of sensory overload when we first went in because of like 20 months of not being in crowds that big, um, once we actually saw the performance, it was fantastic. I was a little worried that I was going to be comparing it too much to the Broadway cast, but I kind of got swept up in the magic and the... Person who did Hamilton, who was an understudy, we found out after when we were looking at the program, did a fantastic job. The whole cast was fantastic. Yeah. And I cried at like four different points, including mm-hmm. at the end when everyone in the house gave a standing ovation. I was just like, everyone's so happy to be here. We shared this <laughs> magical moment. So, uh, yeah, but it's yeah. hard to replicate that. Um, we actually saw Hamilton at PPAC. Um, it must have been 2019. So it was one of the last things we did. And it was very good. And the performers were fantastic. But uh, our biggest thing was everybody's shoes were really squeaky. So I don't know if that was happening here. Like all the dancing was really well done. But the squeaking was taking away from the performance slightly. And I don't think I would have the same feeling if I were to go now instead of being like, oh, it's another day at the at the show, you know. so so i can totally see that it was still very good but the squeaky shoes were a thing boy i saw that production in 2019 i saw it in august of 2019 and i don't remember squeaky shoes okay it must have just been something about that day yeah Um, yeah you know the humidity or something because that was you know i loved the costuming yes yeah and, and everybody did make it their own right like if whether you saw the film or you listened to the cast recording like nobody was trying to do uh, Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, impression, right? Like the person playing Aaron Burr did his own version of it, which which I think is that's good Broadway there, and you know everybody will be yeah. able to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. So I'm very happy that we went, um, and I think I'll remember it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that'll be the highlight of my next month. Like that sure. possibly will be the highlight of 2021 and it happened in the 11th hour of 2021. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, so it was it was so fantastic. I felt like I needed to share it here on the show. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Users of Cranston Public Library can now access their favorite digital magazines using Flipster. Flipster offers an easy browsable reading experience. Users can browse magazines by category as well as perform searches for specific titles. An online newsstand provides a carousel of most recent issues as well as a carousel of all issues, allowing for quick access to magazines. 
Go to cranstonlibrary.org and click the link online resources you can use now to find more information on how you can access Flipster. Flipster also has an app available on Android and iOS. Looking for a movie to watch? Canopy has over 30,000 feature films and documentaries for you to stream for free. Log in using your Cranston Library card and receive eight free play credits each month. That's eight movies every month that you can watch for free. You can watch the 2016 Academy Award-winning film Moonlight, Taika Waititi's horror comedy, What We Do in the Shadows, and many more films today with Canopy. Go to cranstonlibrary.org and click the slider that says online resources you can use now to find the link to sign into Canopy today. I want to have enough time to talk about long running series. Um, So I know, Dave, you are a purveyor of a lot of fantasy and sci-fi series. Um, Karen, I know that you are a prolific reader. Um, So, yeah, let's jump in with our long running series, Rex. Yeah. And so I had suggested this um, at a a recent creative team meeting because what made me think about it is... um, that the Expanse novels um, will be coming to a close. The ninth book between that and also the TV shows in its final season, um, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time is uh, being made into a a TV series right now. And so just kind of an opportunity to talk about what we like about, um, you know, those long-running series. Series? What's the plural of series? (laughs) Is it still series? I think it's just series. I think it's just series, series, yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know if... Karen, you want to get started with, you know, what what draws you into a long-running series? Well, it's interesting because in sort of researching and getting ready for this, I realized that um, what I re- the the mystery series or the and the historical mystery series that I read, what really draws them to me uh, that makes them attractive to me is their sense of place. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want a series that focuses very strongly on you know, is really grounded in a, in a spot. Um, And the, again, the mystery series, the historical mystery series that I read focus on one character or one set of characters, whereas a lot of the romance series, um, you don't necessarily need to read them in order. The romance is because a romance by definition has to have a happily ever after. Which means you've got your happily ever after, and then where's the drama for the next book? So romance series tend to focus on, you know, people all living in the same town or, you know, families with large numbers of siblings like the Bridgertons, you know, they're eight kids. And so there are the eight books, um, whereas the the mystery series. Um, so those you can uh, the backtracking the romances, you can kind of read in any order. You're not you know, you're not required to read them in order. The mystery series that I'd love, you really do need to read them in order because there's always, you know, a dead body or something in every one. And that's where a lot of the, the conflict comes in. But then the personal life of the detective or the police officer mm-hmm. or whatever changes over the length of time. And so you really do need to read those in order if you want to get a sense of the character development and the relationship development, because that's also a key part of them, even though you're reading a mystery in theory, because you're, you're looking at the puzzle. 
Mm-hmm. For me, it's a lot about the place and the the development of the characters. So I, you know, I've got at least a dozen series I can talk about, and I know we don't have time for all of that. Um, but the when I look at all of them, the one that has the most volumes in it so far and is still being written are the in-depth novels by J.D. Robb. J.D. Robb is Nora Roberts' alter ego, and she writes four books a year. She writes two J.D. Robb books, and she writes two Nora Roberts books. Um, she started writing as J.D. Robb because her publisher said they couldn't keep up with her output. Um, they couldn't promote four books of hers a year. And so by creating this alter ego, um, when they first started publishing them, she wasn't letting on that she was actually Nora Roberts. You know, it was they were keeping the pseudonym kind of on the lowdown. She has so far written 53 books in this series, and number 54 and 55 are coming out in 2022. She writes them all herself. She is absolutely adamant about that, that she has no mm-hmm. ghostwriter, and she's just got this incredible work ethic where she writes eight hours a day every day. When she's on vacation, she writes eight hours a day. Um, if you follow her blog, she takes these... I, I would like to be her best friend because she <laughs> takes, you know, she takes her bunch of girlfriends to a spa for the uh, week and, you know, they hire a chef to make dinners for them in their house. Or she takes her whole family off for these trips, these amazing adventures for, you know, 10 days, two weeks. But she gets up early every morning and she writes until mm-hmm. everybody else gets up. So um, and the in-depth books are sort of futuristic um, they take place in like 2066, 2067. So that's not all that far in the future now, but she started writing them in 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, and the science fiction-y bits don't really get in the way of the mystery. I mean, there are things like, uh, you know, it's great that when you're parking your car, you know, you can do some sort of uh, a helicopter move where you're parking on a second tier deck. She never explains the technology. Of course. But, you know, this takes place in Manhattan and, you know, parking is an issue. And so, you know, you're, you're driving and then all of a sudden on the street and she's squeezing her car in by parking it above somebody else. But, uh, Eve Dallas, the character is a, uh, police detective. Um, she's a Lieutenant now, but, um, you know, it starts when she's not quite there yet. She's a junior detective. She's got a horrific backstory. She was an abused child, and there's a horrific backstory. Um, she named herself, um, and her the relationship that develops over time is with a man called Rourke, who only has one name. Uh, no one ever knows what his first name is. Uh, people ask Nora, uh, Nora, J.D. Rob that all the time. And it's like, nope, never going to tell you. <laughs> no, it doesn't happen. He's Rourke and that's it. And he's a stunningly gor- gorgeous Irish man who's like the world's wealthiest human being um, and has all sorts of corporations off planet on these other satellite, artificial planet sure. kinds of things. And um his backstory is he was also an abused child and he was a street thief and a pickpocket and a burglar and a cat burglar. And now he's discovered he can make more money legitimately <laughs> um, hmm. with all of his things. And so it's their relationship. And there's this whole host of characters, mostly her police detectives and friends of theirs, that um, the relationships really develop over time. They're uh, slightly gory, some of the 
the murders and the deaths are really um, a, a little on the bloody or gruesome side. But then the rest of the character development stuff is great. And um, there are also really funny bits. Uh, Eve, having had the life that she did, she like has none of the cultural references that other people get. Um, you know, she doesn't understand idioms. Um, mm. She just has no reference for them. And so someone will drop something from, you know, a line from I don't know, the Wizard of Oz or something like that. And she's like, what do you mean? Click your red shoes. You know, she just, she just doesn't have a clue. So it, it's very funny in that way. Um, yeah. And uh, I actually listen to them in audio because I love the narrator. It's the same narrator for all of them. And so they're great for what I'm commuting, um, you know, keeping me busy while I'm driving. I had no idea that there was like, well, two things I had no idea about. So you taught me some stuff things, Karen. One is I had no idea that there was kind of like a sci-fi speculative fiction bent to the things that Nora Roberts slash J.D. Robb wrote in that series. Mm-hmm. And two, I always assumed the J.D. Robb thing was the same kind of story as like why other female authors had changed their name of like, no man is going to want to read your mystery book if it says Nora Roberts on it. Um, so mm-hmm. you have to make a pseudonym that makes it sound like you may be a man. Hmm. Yeah, she actually had, and I just learned this yesterday when I went, I don't know, I think I went to her website and did some of the, the backstory stuff. Um, she had picked out a different pseudonym that was something, again, it was kind of a, a generic, could be male, could be female name with an Irish surname. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm making this up, but McGonagall or McGillory or something like that. Um, and then found out there was already an, another author with that name. <laughs> wow. So uh, she's got two sons, Jason and Dan. So that's where the JD comes in. Um, and yeah. Rob is just kind of a shortened version of Nora Roberts. Um, she is of Irish descent on both sides. Uh, so that's a big part of her. A lot of her Nora Roberts stuff have a real paranormal element to them. Um, there's a lot of fantasy, witchcrafty kind of things, um, uh, Celtic mythology coming out of all of his her Irish stories. But yeah, the yep. the Eve Dallas ones. Um, it's funny because when she started writing them in 1995, um, uh, you know, it was pre sort of our kind of smartphone, cell phone technology, and so some of her kind of made up technology. You can see, well, that was might have been like a Palm Pilot, or it might have been, you know, some other, yeah, um, something like that. And you know, the stun gun things are, uh, you know, uh, you know, being zapped with lasers and, and whatnot. Um, so some of that's kind of funny, but it really is their police procedurals. You know, uh, and and there's just bits and pieces of that. Uh, Rourke has this enormous, enormous mansion, and there's an elevator in the mansion that seems to be able to also go sideways. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, because it's not just going up and down; it's it's like traveling to every room in the house. Which it's not made of glass, is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I recommend the series to people who say, well, you know, that they hate science fiction or they don't want anything to do with anything futuristic. It's like that's part of these, but it's mm-hmm. not it's not so much that it would get in the way of somebody who really likes just a great police procedural. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely sold. Um, and, and thinking about your your idea of place. And so that's what draws me also to like a series. It's it's kind of returning to a neighborhood that you like or. Mm-hmm. 
you know, seeing friends that you like. Uh, the one I was going to mention um, that I proselytize for anytime I get a chance is Terry Pratchett's Discworld. Um, and the Discworld, if you don't know, is a flat disc-shaped world balanced on the back of four elephants, which are standing on the back of the, the great Atuin, a sea turtle flying through space. And um, so that's his alternate dimension that all of those novels take place on. Um, and it is 41 books total in that series, but there are kind of sub-series within it if you wanted to read about wizards or witches. And then the whole thing is um, fantasy satire, basically, um, taking place on this disc world and, and skewering the concept of fantasy and satirizing you know, our world in this, in this alternate dimension disc world. Um, and I've actually, I've, the way I got into it, and I feel like the way everyone gets into it is you pick up a random book and you say, this is, you know, speaking about um, punny titles, the one I picked up when I was working circulation um, was uh, The Fifth Elephant. And so <laughs> I, and, and I knew nothing about this book. I was coming in to, I was checking it in and I was like, The Fifth Elephant, that's funny. I'll read this book. I mean, that's maybe 30 something in the series. And I just sort of jumped in, but I loved it. And um, as you return to it and you see these characters kind of come back, it's kind of like, you know what they're going to be about, which is enjoyable. Um, so The Fifth Elephant is part of um, the, the Watch sort of sub-series uh, about the city watch, uh, the, the main city on Discworld. And I've basically read those backwards. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the person who's the kind of like the supreme director of the watch, you know, I read backwards and now he's the captain. And now I read another one and he was the lieutenant and then another one back and you know, and so it's kind of, you know, where this character is going to end up, but you can still see it in previous iterations of the character. Um, it's like a really it, prolonged flashback. Basically, <laughs> uh, that's kind of how it's come around um, to feeling. And, you know, and I've just the way I've been doing it at this point, being really into the series is just whichever one I kind of feel like reading next or something that's kind of I want to know more about this character. Um, so like I just read uh, A Hat Full of Sky, which is the second of the Tiffany Aching series. It's a young adult series of novels that take place on Discworld. She's a young adult witch that's learning how to be a witch. Um, and she meets Granny Weatherwax. And it's like, oh, I want to know more about Granny Weatherwax. And so you go back and read Equal Rights. That's R-I-T-E-S, another pun title, which is about uh, a baby who was born who was given a wizard's powers as he died. But the baby who was born ends up being female. And so the whole like, there's no such thing as a female wizard, so you must be a witch, but you're not really a witch because <laughs> your powers are that of a wizard. Mm -hmm. um, and then knowing that that character comes back in the next Tiffany Aching book that I'm going to read that I'm kind of putting off for a little while, um, just because I read too many of them this year, uh, want to make it last, is um, you know to see that character come back and what that'll be like. Um, so Terry Pratchett died, uh, I want to say, in 2015, um, so pretty recently. So it's kind of those 41 books are it, but it's really, it's really fun. I think seeing how he looks at our world through these characters world. And it's a kind of sat satirization that you can tell how much he loves everything he's talking about. Like he loves all these books. He loves the fantasy genre, but he's still going to make fun of it in a loving way. Um, and I always end up kind of coming away with some new way of looking at something in my own life from having read this book. So I highly recommend those books. I'm finding it kind of encouraging that there are like multiple jumping in points for Discworld because yep. I've had many, many people recommend for me to read Discworld and I really didn't know where to start. 
so I'm feeling better that there's like series within the series so yeah. that it's not like a, a complete. And there's actually a whole, there's a whole graphic that I've been tracking the ones that I've read on um, that basically shows all the different sub within and different places to start and different ways to read it. Um, he actually, I think there were three or four books in the series before he was like, no, nah, don't read those. Like you should really probably start with this one, which is sorcery, <laughs> S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y, sorcery. Um, and he's like, start with that one. Um, don't worry about those other ones. <laughs> um, so, and it, and it really is, it's a really forgiving series. And there are certain ones that are easier to jump in on than others. Um, I'd actually just talked with you, Karen, about the same, <laughs> the same reading series because they did in one of the books, The Dark Morris, which if the Morris <laughs> dance takes place on May Day and heralds in the arrival of spring, the Dark Morris takes place in the dark of night on the first day of winter to herald in winter and to complete the cycle of birth and then death and then rebirth, um, which is, again, it's just an interesting little joke that he kind of imbues more meaning into than I think maybe it deserves, but it was also really enjoyable. Well, you're obviously not in the Morrising world. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's absolutely fair. <laughs> um, I mean, I love the fact that when I started tracking that Dark Morris stuff that, uh, you know, they actually danced that Dark Morris dance at his memorial service. Yeah. Um, you know, because he was, he, he epitomizes that sort of quirky English cultural aspect. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I tried Discworld 15 years ago, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. random cover of a book like that at the circulation desk. And I just couldn't get into it, even though I like sort of funny science fiction that that does appeal to me. So mm -hmm. uh, I am going to try with your Teen Witch series and see if that'll that'll yeah. be my good entry point. <laughs> I, I mean, my personal thing is that the Tiffany Aching books can take the spot for like magical witch learning school adventures. Mm -hmm. It's that same, you know, she learns how to become a witch as the same time as she's growing up as an adult. But I, I really think it's, you know, a lot of really good ideas, but you have so much fun, you almost miss them, which I think is a really impressive uh, writerly trick. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about it until you guys had both said about this feeling of place, because I feel like I've had similar thoughts, but didn't exactly put it into the same words when yeah. when thinking about why I really like series. Like I kept I kept kind of referring to it as like the world building was really like mm -hmm. well done and a world that I really liked because I, I tend to most of the series that I have read that have been fairly long running have been YA fantasy or YA um, mm -hmm. sci fi. Um and yeah, so it's a thing of like the magic system is really interesting in this particular book series or like just like the premise of like one of the ones I really enjoyed, even though I have not read nearly as many books as they are as there are now is the Mortal Instruments series. And so I read the first three when they came out. And then I think I read the fourth one when she decided she was going to write another three. And then I kind of fell off. But since then, she's written prequel series in that world. She's written offshoot series of like, let's these books will feature this side character or pair of side characters um, that, you know, were side characters in the main story, but now get to be the main characters and and uh, books that are supposed to be kind of like nonfiction as in that they are like explaining the premises of that world. Um, so there are 
so many books now that she's written and I have not kept up with it, but that world and the whole premise of, um, you know, people who fight demons and then that all of the kind of like fantastical myths and stories that you heard are true. And so there are wizards and there are werewolves and there are vampires. And, but like what she did with it was something that I really thought was interesting, but yeah, I think it's a very similar thing of, even if the characters are different, you know, you're coming back to this world that the rules are the same and and the places are the same. And we might see some of the same characters and we might not. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that consistency, I guess I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's why I think I, in the email conversation that Dave and I had about the Tiffany series of books, uh, I talked about how um, I loved uh, Tamara Pierce's All of Her Circle of Magic, um, which, again, that's that idea of a magic school for teens, kind of. And again, it's the world building. It's the they're maturing and growing as human beings. And then they're also learning how to be you know, magicians or wizards or whatever you want to call it. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of, you know, uh, going really old school. It would be Lloyd Alexander and um, Susan Cooper. Um, I loved both those series, you know, based in English myth cycles and, uh, you know, back to Tolkien and The Hobbit and all of those. Okay. But it's the same idea of that maturing character in the world that they've built. So is there anything else either of you want to add before we wrap up? I would say when it comes to a series and that that feeling of like hesitancy to jump into it is real and knowing where to start and if there's a right or a wrong place to start, um, I would always say, you know, if you if you want to ask a library worker that, you know, um, if you're in Rhode Island or probably anywhere else, you can access a service called Novelist, which will kind of give you a, a, a getting in point. There's also a good book website called bookseriesinorder.com, which does exactly what it says on the tin, where you put in the author's name and then you can click on the series and, you know, you could type type in J.D. Robb in death and it'll tell you the order of those books, which one's the first one, a little synopsis of each book. Um, so it, it gives you an opportunity to find a place to jump in. So I'll put in a plug for my favorite website, uh, which I'm on 12 times a day, fantasticfiction.com. Um, that has... 50,000 authors listed in it. And you can also find, you know, series in order. And for people who write more than one series, you can see, you know, if you're not just looking at a chronological list of all the books that they've written, you can break out what series they're working on currently and what the relationships, you know, James Patterson is sort of the poster boy for that because he writes with 90, 97 other people. And you can, you know, you can see all of the various, whether it's an Alex Cross novel or whether it's a women's murder club, you know, you can see all of those breakdowns yeah. and, uh, you know, you can click on the title or the cover and you can get a blurb on the book. Uh, so you can see, did I read that one or didn't I? You know, I mean, with the J.D. Robb, when they're all in death, you know, naked in death, born in death, uh, you know, decided in death, deceitful in death, it kind of all blurs after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can go and you can click on a t- cover and figure out, oh, yeah, I did see the synopsis. Oh yeah, I did actually read that one. I know that that's how that murder happened, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, 
So that's really, it's really useful and it's really accessible. Novelist takes a few clicks to get to on our website. You get more information in Novelist. You yep. get a lot more depth of information, but if you want something just really quick and fast, you know, pull it up on your phone um, when you're in the library or something. It's, uh, you know, that's really quick and easy to do. Totally. All right. So we wrap up the show with a segment I call The Last Chapter, where we talk about a library or bookish related question. So I thought, given that we're talking about long series today, I would ask you both, um, when reading a long series, are you more frequently reading along as new titles come out? Or are you one of those people that waits till it's complete so that you don't have to wait? I read along with the series. I don't want to wait. I mean, definitely, I read a lot of old classic series that are done. You know, the author yep. died 30 years ago, and I'm, you know, I will read them. Um, that's putting in a plug for Dorothy Sayers and Marjorie Allingham since I didn't get to talk about them. But, um, you know, otherwise, Nora Roberts is going to be writing the in-death books forever, as far as I can tell. Um, I'm not going to wait uh, to, to read it. So I, I read right along. And then get really antsy because, you know, some people, it takes them a year or two to put the next book out and you're just dying to know what happens, especially. So I, I prefer there not to be a massive cliffhanger at the end of it. Um, so I don't yeah. have to wait the two years for the cliffhanger to end. <laughs> yeah, I would say I, I try to be the same way, um, you know, similarly with Discworld, like, you know, there's the 41 and that's it. I'm I'm trying to just sort of parcel them out so that I don't spend the next three years of my reading life, reading nothing but these books, I'd be perfectly happy to do so. Um, but there's plenty of other things I also want to read. With the Expanse series by James S.A. Corey, uh, I had been reading those with my sister, uh, which is fun. So we read them and then text each other, are you on chapter five? Like, can you believe what what <laughs> happens to, uh, you know, to Amos? I can't even believe it. And so again, that that ninth one's out and I'm, I'm excited to see how it ends. All right. So thank you both for joining me and thank you everyone for listening. Um, if you want to reach out to us here at Downtime, you can do that by emailing us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. And now you can reach out to us via social media with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. And thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Cassidy Mills, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. I'm going to leave that in, obviously. <laughs> it's, it's nature, guys. The birds right. and the bees do it. Yeah. Um, in tree branches, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>